welcome to Sellersburg United Methodist Church podcast, where we bring our mission to make disciples of Jesus Christ for the transformation of the world to you, wherever you are. You know, one thing I missed from this year is going to the fair. We didn't get to have the 4-H fair as we are used to, and, and to be quite honest with you, even if we had, I wouldn't have experienced it the same way as I did as a kid, because going to the Midway and experiencing the rides was a big part of the fair. And there was one ride particularly called the Gravitron, and maybe it's been called a different name where you've been, but essentially it looks like a flying saucer. You climb inside of it. You stand against the wall and then it spins around really fast, fast enough to where eventually you are stuck to the wall. And at that time when I was younger and could handle a little more, I'd spin upside down and, and spin all sorts of different directions and try to push myself from the wall, which was incredibly difficult because of the force against me, pushing me against the wall. And in moments like that, gravity starts to lose its effect and it can be disorienting. In fact, pilots in planes and jets that travel at high speeds experience the same kind of pressure. And if you've ever flown in a plane, you know at takeoff, you're mashed against the seat to the point where you don't really feel gravity pulling you down, you just feel the force pushing you back. And pilots and, and jet planes and fighter planes that, that travel at incredible speeds feel this pressure so much that they've been known to lose a sense of where up is and where down is. But the force causes what they call spatial disorientation. Spatial disorientation. They can no longer tell by their senses which way is up and which way is down. And it's not hard to imagine. If you, if you imagine flying along and being pushed back so hard and, and maybe flying on a cloudy day where you can't see the ground, you can't see the blue sky above, it would be very easy to lose a sense of where up and where down is. And this has happened to many pilots many times where they, they don't know. They lose all sense of what is up and what is down, which can be quite frightening. If you're disoriented and you realize it, there's a state of, of fear because you don't want to make the wrong decision. You, you want to maybe pull the stick back so that you will ascend and rise in altitude. But if you are unaware of how you're oriented, pulling back on the stick may actually send your plane closer to the ground, which could be quite alarming if you can't see the ground. And so this, this force, this, this spatial disorientation, it's scary. And it's a dangerous situation. Getting yourself out of the disorientation takes focus. It takes patience. It takes great care. That's assuming you even know you are spatially disoriented. If you don't know, the dangers are all the more because you may be quite confident in the maneuvers you are making, but quite mistaken about where you are going versus where you think you are going. Now this, this idea, if you do realize that you're disoriented, which many pilots have described this, they don't know, they can't rely on their senses and it's, it's quite 
it's quite frightening. They then have to figure out how to slowly and carefully figure their orientation out and, and get out of the state of disorientation and be reoriented. And most of them are confident they can. They're confident that they can maneuver, but they do have to be slow. And so that there's that state of tension and anticipation of, I'm not oriented the way I want to be. I know I can get there. I know I'll figure this out and things will be right side up again. But in the midst, there's this feeling of tension and anticipation, which is leaving you with the question, am I upside down? Am I right side up? Am I neither? Am I sideways? And so they live in that state of anticipation and tension. How true this is for a pilot in flight to feel that. How scary it is for the pilot that does not know that they are disoriented. And how true it is for us in faith in the same way, because we can often become disoriented in our way of life, think that we are right side up when in fact we are upside down. We can become aware of this and then live into the tension and the anticipation of writing or being righted. And we're all unaware of the disorientation in our own souls. Every one of us is disoriented in one way or another. And if, if you're thinking, well, I'm not disoriented, my friends, how truly disoriented you are. Because we all are disoriented. Even the best of us has a ways to go. That's the reality. But there's hope. That tension, that anticipation, the way that that's described in the scripture and the Hebrew words for tension and anticipation, it's the word that you see written H-O-P-E. It's hope. Hope because you're not there yet, but you know you will be. And you're living in the space between the awareness and the fulfillment. And you're living into what you know will be a good situation when you get there. That's how it is for our faith. Now, you heard the Isaiah reading when we lit our candles this morning. And the, the reading speaks of an exiled people. The Hebrew people had been exiled from their land, had been taken up and ripped from their land and from their identity and taken to Babylon far away and been forced to live in exile as a community. All that they knew of life, all that they loved was gone. It had been stolen from them as they had been stolen from their place. And the prophet prays on their behalf in this passage, seeing that their way of life before this disorientation, they were actually moving away from God when they thought they were moving closer to God. And it's that way of life that led them so far away into exile. There's a great despair and a guilt in the passage, but also a great hope. They become aware of where it is that they were upside down. And there's a great hope that God will help bring them right side up and reorient their way of life as a people, as individuals, as a nation. It's as if the prophet considers the past, which has led to their present predicament, and also brings in the future. So the present, the future, and the past are all together in this one prayer of reality. And the question that the prophet brings up is, what have we become? That's at the heart of the message. It's a prayer to God, but also a question for the people to really face themselves and ask, what have we 
become. We're upside down. How do we get right side up? And the tension and anticipation that Isaiah presents that awaits them as God will write them. They live into this and hope. We know we'll get things righted, but we're in the process of be, being reoriented. That's the process that they're living into. And what a celebration that with God, we have the hope, we have the assurance that we will be reoriented. We are in good hands. And we come to Advent this time of year, this season, with anticipation and with the tension of where we are today. And we tell the story of what happened long ago, and we tell the story of what will come to help us come to the same place with the same hope that in our upside downness, we may be righted. We come to consider our lives in this time of Advent, to consider our stories, to consider God's story and our place in it and where it is that we need reoriented. One really popular way that we tell this story every year is through Charles Dickens' A Christmas Carol, the story of Ebenezer Scrooge. Now, we're doing a, a study on Tuesday evenings, beginning in a couple of days, on the redemption of Scrooge. We're going to tell the story of Scrooge because the story of Scrooge is the story of all of us. It's the story of the church. It's a timeless story because we all can identify We've all become Ebenezer Scrooge in many ways. As a church, we've become Ebenezer Scrooge. And while there's a heaviness to acknowledging this truth, this reality, we also have the great hope. It's the awareness, the awakening to our disorientation that leads us into the anticipation, into the hope, into the tension that will carry us forward into being righted, to being redeemed, to being reoriented. Scrooge was completely disoriented in life. And through an evening where he comes to an awakening by visiting his past, his present, and his future, through this awareness, he becomes reoriented and redeemed. And that's the gift of Advent for us all. We embrace the full offering of the past, of the future, and of the present to help us rethink and be reoriented, and ultimately through Jesus Christ, be redeemed. Like Ebenezer Scrooge, we allow the totality of our story with God and the story in Jesus Christ to have our full attention. And that's not easy this time of year. There are many things going on around us that could steal our attention, many things that have stolen our attention, some for worse and some that are fun and, and better. I mean, the Christmas season, the way it's been commercialized, there's lots of things to steal our attention, all in good nature and in good fun, but it can steal our attention to where we can become even more disoriented because like Scrooge, we all have much to learn about the disorientation of our souls. We have much to learn and remember about our calling as the church in Jesus Christ. Like Israel in the reading, like Scrooge in the story, the questions loom for us all. What have we become? Who do we want to be? Who have we hoped to be? How can we wake up to who we are created and intended to be, and how do we experience reorientation and redemption? What does the story of Christ's past coming 
mean in the way that we live today? How does telling the story of the birth impact how we live today? How does telling the story of Christ's coming again in the future impact how we live today? We carry the past and the future together into our present because it should speak to how we live today and invite us into an awakening, a reorienting of our reality, a right siding up. Are we fully alive in our calling? Are we awake? Or have we fallen asleep? Have we become distracted? Are we disoriented? Well, some ways for you to gauge this is to wrestle with some questions. What is your sense of the world today? Are you feeling cynical? Or are you feeling hopeful? Maybe a bit of both. Are your eyes and emotions, where you look, what you read, how you feel, what you're upset about, not upset about, is it tied more to the politics in the United States? Or is it directed by the reign of God, the kingdom of God? Are the discussions that you have in your home, with your friends, with your families, are they centered on God and God's will and way for our life? Or are they centered on the gossip of the world around us? Are you more fixated on the lives of the rich and the famous? Or are you more fixated on the needs of the poor, the hungry, and the vulnerable in our community? Are you more in touch with what's happening across the aisle or across the street? Are you driven to read books and listen to sermons based on the message that you already believe and know and you just want to hear it affirmed? Or are you searching and growing and looking for challenge, looking to be stretched and invited into a reoriented way of life? We have this wonderful time of year, this Advent season where we do wait, where we're invited to consider and anticipate and reflect. We have beautiful carols that we sing that invite us to look beyond the trappings of the commercialization and to see the meaning of the manger. We have our Advent passages from our prophets and evangelists to help us focus less on on how COVID is threatening our family traditions so that we can focus more on how Advent can address the state of our souls. We're gonna hear from the evangelist we call Mark, chapter 13, verse 24 through 37. Reading from the book of Mark, Chapter 13, verses 24 through 37. In those days, after the suffering of that time, the sun will become dark and the moon won't give its light. The stars will fall from the sky and the planets and other heavenly bodies will be shaken. Then they will see the human one coming in the clouds with great power and splendor. Then he will send the angels and gather together his chosen people from the four corners of the earth, from the end of the earth to the end of heaven. Learn this parable from the fig tree. 
After its branch becomes tender and it sprouts new leaves, you know that summer is near. In the same way, when you see these things happening, you know that he's near at the door. I assure you that this generation won't pass away until all these things happen. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will certainly not pass away. But nobody knows when that day or hour will come. Not the angels in heaven and not the Son. Only the Father knows. Watch out. Stay alert. You don't know when the time is coming. It is as if someone took a trip, left the household behind, and put the servants in charge, giving each one a job to do, and told the doorkeeper to stay alert. Therefore, stay alert. You don't know when the head of the household will come whether in the evening or at midnight, or when the rooster crows in the early morning or at daybreak. Don't let him show up when you weren't expecting and find you sleeping. What I say to you, I say to all, stay alert. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. We hear this passage from the evangelist, and it's an apocalyptic image. It's an apocalyptic speech. And if you remember from a few weeks ago, apocalypse is the revealing, the revelation, the pulling back of the curtain, all for the purpose of hope, all to help us realize what's really going on in the world around us, to help us look beyond ourselves and the immediate things that have our attention, to consider the grand things that should have our attention Now, this speech was offered in a gospel that was written, read, in first century A.D. And so what was happening in the world around the people that received this gospel was a lot of turmoil. Israel was fighting with itself. There was a great civil war going on because they had fought out Rome, which didn't take much effort to start fighting Rome, and Rome did what Rome does. Rome leaves and waits, amasses huge numbers, and then comes back in and takes control. And in the intermediate time, all the different factions and groups of Israel were fighting with one another. They were threatening the temple. And eventually, Rome does come back and completely annihilates the people and destroys the temple, which leaves the people of Israel asking the question, what is happening? The temple's gone. It's as if Every church in our entire world suddenly was destroyed overnight. You can imagine the great calamity and sense of of worry and fear, and that's what the people are feeling in this time. Not only that, but there are great earthquakes. There are volcanoes. There's a great sense that everything in the world is suddenly being shaken up. There are comets in the sky. There's things happening that are beyond our ability to understand, and the people are worried They're in a great time of anticipation and tension. And in the midst of that, they receive this word of hope from Jesus to pay attention to what they're seeing and to be ready, to be awake, to wake up, to stay alert. Because there is an enormous shift in the foundations of reality that happened with Jesus Christ. God is at work in Jesus Christ, the gospel says with this good news, to shake everything up. The entire gospel story is about rethinking everything. This is what repentance means. Rethinking, reimagining, reorienting. 
the giant shakeup of our lives and of the world around us, of our identity and purpose, to wake us up. It's a good thing to be woken up because a comfortable life will always lull us to sleep. A life of abundance of things and stuff and material possessions always makes us complacent. Suddenly we become worried about losing our stuff and we lose focus of what's important in the world. Fixing our eyes on material sustenance will always numb our compassion and dull our mercy. It will anesthetize it will anesthetize our sense of calling to this dark and hungry and hurting world. Like the people of Isaiah's time and the people of Jesus' day, we have become stagnant, numbed, and disoriented. If we didn't know, friends, as the church, we are the people of hope. We are the body of Christ. We are the people of the kingdom of God. At least that's the life that we were baptized into, that we accepted, that we said yes, or that we we're invited to accept and be baptized into. My fear is that we have ceased to be the people of hope in our own community, in our own neighborhood. We've ceased to be the people of hope in our own families, in our own circles, in our own worlds. I think about the people that are right across the street from this building, or think about the people that are across the street from your house. Do they know your names? Do you know theirs? Do you know their stories? Have you shared your story? I wonder the people that are around this church building, what does this church represent to them? Does it represent hope or judgment? Hope or condemnation? Hope or anything else? Because I, I hope that they see us as a place of hope. Like Ebenezer Scrooge, I simply look around and what I often see and hear from the church, the worldwide church, or the church in our culture, I see how out of touch we've become to the world around us. We are. We often do not follow in the footsteps of Jesus Christ. We're disoriented. We're not living right side up. Now, let's think about it. Jesus, the state of his birth and the way of his life with the poor. With the poor, the hungry, the vulnerable, the oppressed, Jesus comes and spends his time befriending the outcast, the lonely, and the brokenhearted. Jesus will spend his life dining with those on the edges of society, the rejected and the dejected. And what does he do? He hears their stories and he shares his. He looks beyond the labels and looks well beyond the politics, and he sees the souls of God's children, lost, alone, and in need. 
Jesus then welcomes all of them fully. And he invites them into a new understanding of themselves and God. That's what Jesus does. When's the last time we saw the church in touch with the people Jesus was always in touch with? Like Scrooge, I'm afraid we've turned our focus inward. Like the people of Isaiah, we've lost track. We've become disoriented. We've become consumed with the state of our own affairs. We've become more allegiant to our political parties than our identity in Christ. We've become more attracted to financial security than our Christ-like charge. We've become obsessed with hearing what it is we want to hear, so much that we even have places to go, news stations, social media platforms, that we can simply choose to hear what we want to hear. And we choose that rather than listen to what we need to hear. We would rather be where we want to be, with whom we want to be, than to be where we need to be, with whom we need to be. We've run ourselves ragged, trying to marry church and politics. Amen? Can we be honest? We are threatening to split our denomination because we're more interested in debating a topic rather than the hearts and souls of our sisters and brothers. When it comes to helping the poor, we've allowed a tiny fraction of the people that are in need who take advantage. We've allowed that tiny fraction to harden our hearts where we no longer want to offer all that we have to the vast majority who are really trying hard and just need some help. We've become bitter trying to draw lines in the sand about who is in and who is out, who can be part of the church and who can't, more than we've spent time trying to just ourselves be the church. Our faults are a heavy reality. But can we humble ourselves and at least confess that it's true? That we've all played a part. Like the people of Israel, like Ebenezer Scrooge, what's true for our reality is true whether we like it or not whether we're willing to admit it or not. But just like Israel and just like Scrooge, there is great hope, friends, great hope of redemption and reorientation. It's not too late. We just need to wake up. We just need to be alert. And there's good news, my sisters and my brothers. We have this wonderful God-given day today, right here, right now. It's not too late. This is the moment for us to wake up, to embrace what's been given to us and take advantage for the sake of our souls and the souls of those around us. We have this amazing season of Advent before us over the next few weeks as we prepare for the coming of Christ. We may be disoriented, friends, but we have not been abandoned. The Holy Spirit has been with us from the beginning and will be with us here and now and will be with us forevermore.
The Holy Spirit awakens us to the truth of our own resistance, of our own hesitation, of our own desire to be in denial. The Holy Spirit opens our eyes and our hearts to our disorientation. And that is good and holy work. Does it hurt to see clearly? Sometimes, yeah. Does it startle us to realize we've been disoriented and in danger? Yes. Is it uncomfortable living in the tension and anticipation of hope? Of course it is. But all of this is not about weighing us down and feeling sorry and, and weighted, feeling the full reality of our sin and ignorance to, to crush us and bring shame until we are completely miserable? No, not at all. The point of this waking up, of this realizing our disorientation, it's, it's about hope. And we know who the hope is found in. And we know the story of hope coming to be with us in Jesus Christ. Our God enters into the very darkness and confusion of our lives and of our world to join us, to be born into our reality, to accompany us in our journey, to feel our pain, to experience our struggle, to come and show us the better way to live, to set things right, to be the light, to guide us, to reorient our lives in the right direction. Thank you, Lord for never abandoning us, for not allowing anything to separate us from your love. Today we celebrate the hope of God and Jesus Christ's coming, both back then, one day, and right now. Are you ready for the coming of Jesus Christ in 2020? Are you ready for the reorientation of your soul and of the church? Place your hope in Jesus Christ. No longer in politics, no longer in finances, no longer in comfort and security, but in the hope of Jesus Christ alone. Let us lay down our own version of orientation so that we can allow Jesus Christ through the Holy Spirit to help us to begin right side up. My friends, Jesus Christ is coming. Let us celebrate in our hope. Let us prepare ourselves. And in this Advent season, let us hear the story of Jesus again. Amen. Thank you for joining us today, and it is our hope that you have experienced the blessing of God through our time together. If you'd like to know more about our church community and its ministries, visit our website at sellersburgumc.com.